Hello, and welcome to Scary Pair, a weekly horror movie podcast between partners. I'm Nine. And I'm Opal. And this week we watched The Grudge, the 2004 remake of Juan The Grudge, the Japanese horror movie. Um, but before we get into that, let's do some news updates. Opal, what have we been doing and what are we looking forward to doing this past week, coming week? Well, I really want to see Crimes of the Future, the new Cronenberg, like really, really badly still. Yeah, we were thinking about maybe seeing like a matinee um, yeah. when it's not so busy. Uh, it's been a long time since we've been to a theater. Yeah, that's also true. We've I think been the last movies we saw was The Invisible Man. So. Yeah, <laughs> we've been doing movies, especially horror movies, in the theater ever since we've been dating, and I do miss it. I miss going to see movies. I miss it so much. And you also saw Beetlejuice for the first time. I did. This oh past my gosh! Week. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to take a second and acknowledge that. We absolutely should because what what a movie! I really liked it. I know, it ages so much better and worse than you think it would at the same time. You know, I definitely got that impression, even though, obviously, I never watched it at the time. Yeah. But Winona Ryder as, like, a little tween is very good in that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Iconic Winona. Still really funny to me that, like, whoever, like, was in charge of Batman at the time saw that movie and was like, yeah, I want Tim Burton and that lead actor to do Batman. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, it makes complete sense. Uh, <laughs> You're talking about Michael Keaton, right? Yeah, Michael Keaton yeah. as Beetlejuice. Um, he's just, like, what a character. And then... He's mostly just a pervert. <laughs> yeah, he's not, uh, like, a cool guy at all. <laughs> But it's, it's kind of the point. It's very funny that, like, yeah, the, those two go on to make Batman, like, immediately after. Yeah. Um, PG movie. PG. You were amazed <laughs> that it was a PG movie. They say fuck. <laughs> and shit. And there's sex stuff. Well, there can be a, a tiny bit of that. I don't know. It's obviously, like... The, the context that I got looking it up, like, are you sure this is a PG movie? It's just that it was the 80s and PG movies had a lot of that stuff in it. It's true. I mean, we talked about how, like, The Mask, which comes out in the 1990s, is like a PG-13 movie. And I feel I can see that. like The Mask is, if anything, a little bit more tame than Beetlejuice. That's, that's also true. Which is kind of funny. Should we get into our film for the week? I would love to. All right. This movie is directed by Takashi Shimizu, also the director of the original. It's also produced by Sam Raimi, which is funny. Uh, this is right around the Spider-Man time. And... Yeah, I think it looks like it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. This is also a series of movies. Shimizu made two earlier Juan movies that never came out in theaters, as well as like a short film right out of film school. I've only seen the original myself. Yeah, I've only seen, I've seen Juwan, and I've seen this one before, but yeah, so... I want I want to know around how old you think you were when you first saw this movie, because I think I have an answer, and it's probably going to match up pretty well. When I first saw this movie, I mean, you showed me this movie for, like, the first time. I didn't for see this... For the first mo- time? You didn't see it as a kid? I never saw this as a kid. I felt like everyone I knew saw it when they were, like, nine or ten years old. 
Which I, I feel like is the demographic to get scared by this movie. So I was too much of a wimp to see horror movies. And also, my no. mom is not much of a horror movie person. Yeah, that makes so sense. So we weren't really going and seeing anything like that at this time. I mean, early 2000s, like, I have a distinct memory of being too scared by Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring. You told me this story. And uh, I still feel bad about how uh, I allowed my grandma to take me out of that theater when I was, like, not like 10 or 11 or something like that because i was too scared of the ring wraiths so i've never seen that movie all the way through in the theater to this day and i'm still bitter about it for a little nine it's one of my favorites anyway how so you were nine or ten when you first saw this yes (laughs) okay yeah no i think i saw this with you like right after we started dating that that would make sense it's it's a fun one to just put on for sure yeah it's pretty good Shall we get into kind of the summary of events? Yeah, yeah. All right. So we start with kind of this funny logo, Ghost House Pictures, which is Sam Raimi's production company, which again looks like a Blumhouse intro. It's very goofy. (laughs) It's a skeleton looking at you. It's a skeleton. And then we get some text about how curses work uh, on the screen. It's... It's more than one screen of text, which I think is a bad idea. I think, you know, at first I thought, oh gosh, let me write all this down. And then it was like three screens of text. (laughs) You're not writing anything down. And I was like, all right, let's just get into the movie. (laughs) And so uh, the movie starts, uh, a dude jumps off his balcony to his death while his wife watches in horror. um, His like second story balcony. Yeah, it is the second story, and he does vault off of it in a very funny way. And he hits the pavement, like, all contorted like a fish. It is the family guy death pose a little bit. A little bit. If you saw it from the side. And then we get into kind of a funny opening credit sequence where there's a bunch of strands of hair coming down. This is the hairiest movie you will ever see. Very hairy. So a social worker named Yoko visits an older american lady and the first note that i have is that this movie is very 2004 looking i extremely agree but i feel like it's even more 2004 looking when sarah michelle Gellar gets on screen (laughs) because that hair oh my My, goodness everyone's hair and everyone's clothes is just extremely early 2000s the highlights are chunky they have been fed they are not going hungry (laughs) uh so the house is pretty creepy. There's like a secret attic cubby crawl space and a freaky hair lady uh, sucks up the social worker. This was the part that scared me when I was nine years old. The attic one. I feel like the scares, I think you said it while we were watching, the scares in this movie are absolutely tuned to like freak out nine-year-olds. It's, it's exclusively nine-year-olds, I would say. And but also it's like Five Nights at Freddy's jump scares where like, Something will just happen. Yeah, just kind of a... It's like frame one, frame two action. Definitely. And I feel like this movie in general does a great job when the scare is happening off screen of building tension or setting up kind of a spooky, creepy vibe. And then the second they have to show something on screen, um, their kind of only move is showing a person with a painted white face and like dark circles around their eyes uh, kind of grimacing at you see i think it's at 100 a little bit too much i would have appreciated a little bit more of a ramp up 
to like the crazy stuff happening. But yeah. It, it's not really the grudges style. I, I mean, I feel like the original is also kind of like that. That's true. I just think that um, a little more variety in the scares would be nice. Yeah. But now we enter to uh, Sarah Michelle Geller and her boyfriend, played by Jason Bear, who looks scarily <laughs> like Ashton Kutcher. In this I movie. asked you, am I the only one that has a false memory of this being Ashton Kutcher? And I saw this man and I knew exactly why. And you know, this is 2004. This is right around when the butterfly effect comes out. And I feel like that's like the peak of Ashton Kutcher's powers in I, the world. I think he was doing a little bit more than the butterfly effect. But I feel like that's how you know that he's like a big deal, that he gets like a role in like a semi-serious movie. Is it? I mean, <laughs> that movie sucks. Uh, but anyway, these two are like students and our our main girl is named Karen. People really are named Karen. She be named Karen. Uh, so she's um, volunteering as a social worker to get credits for school. And it seems like a very complicated thing to do if you're not native Japanese and don't speak the language very much. Absolutely. I mean, there's so, going to be a lot of that, though, so I can't gripe on that forever. So the next scene that they get to is basically about this. Um the previous social worker, who we kind of infer is the lady that got sucked up by the spooky ghost, yeah. um, has not showed up to work. So they're looking for a replacement, and they're like, hey, Karen, can you take over? Um, basically, it's just like an old grandma with dementia who sleeps through most of the day, so it should be no problem. And, and she, she speaks English. That's, and, like, important. Right, the... An important thing about this movie is that, like, they didn't just make Sarah Michelle Gellar the, like, American person. They made... It's kind of half and half, right? They made, like, a good chunk of the characters American people. I think it is really interesting that they did decide to keep it in Japan because almost every other remake I can think of, they just move it over to America. So yeah. I think that is actually kind of a good choice with the location effort and everything, but it is... A lot of American casting still. I do feel like it also changes the tone of the movie a little bit to have the movie be about Americans in Japan as opposed to Japanese people in Japan. A bit, yeah. Um, but we'll get into it. So she visits the house. Um, the house is kind of run down, but it's still like a two-story house in Tokyo. So Yeah, but there are chips everywhere. Right, and plants Because are Grandma growing. is a snack fiend, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the house is in total disarray, and uh, Grandma is, like, nonverbal. But, you know, she's a dementia patient, so it's not clear that, like, anything is definitely wrong at this no, point. No, not necessarily. And while kind of cleaning up the house, Karen finds a taped-up closet upstairs and hears, a, like, a cat meowing on the other side, as well as... Uh, a little kid. I, I don't know if anyone could hear that, but our cat did just meow when you said that. <laughs> um, so Karen uh, tears open the closet through the tape and finds like a messed up book. Um, and then kind of like looks three feet to the side and sees a little boy holding a black cat inside. You know, I just feel like this little kid is a little too adorable to ever be scary. <laughs> 
And the cat is also too adorable. The cat is really adorable. It's just the cutest little black kitty cat you've ever seen. I know. So she calls her boss and kind of looks through the book and is like, hey, you know, you need to send somebody to come figure this out. Um, She finds a picture of an American man and his family. Um, She also sees a picture of this Japanese family and the little boy and the cat are in the photo. Um, But the mom in the family has her face cut out. At this point, the boy introduces himself to her as Toshio. And she says, Watashi wa Karen. I laughed so hard. She's like, Watashi wa Karen. And I'm like, you go, Karen. There's a lot of that in this movie. Americans saying like three words of Japanese at a time. I don't think Sarah Michelle Gellar's is the worst. We'll, we'll talk about both of them later. <laughs> um, but the spooky hair lady shows up and uh, kind of scares Karen. And now we get a flashback to um, the American family being shown the house by a real estate agent. There isn't much of a cut to indicate it's a flashback, but it's told kind of non-linearly, kind of like the original is. Yeah, and this house is, like, already creepy. Um, there are strange noises. Um, there's Toshio kind of poking his head out as a ghost. There's a boy in this house, for one. Yeah, there is a creepy ghost boy in the house already. <laughs> there's also, these scenes have, like, this implied horror of being an American in a foreign place, except it really doesn't work for me because they're in Tokyo. <laughs> like the, are... the horrors of moving to a different place is like not knowing what flavor ramen you're buying, maybe. It's it's really a lot. Um, Even then, it's like, pictures, girl. <laughs> they really want you to believe that like uh, the wife of this family, Susan, is like really suffering. She's put upon because she has to be. She in lives Japan. in a giant house in the middle of Tokyo. <laughs> the cat spooks her at one point, but it's just so cute. I can't be scared. I think both of us just like let <laughs> we out a oh, like in, in perfect sequence when this cat showed up. We're self-proclaimed free thinkers when a little kitty cat walks up. Sorry, her name is Jen, the wife, and Michael. Uh, the husband they're the couple um and they're kind of swept up quickly by the ghost um they don't last very long the little kid is pretty scary here just kind of poking his head out and being like a spooky ghost kid yeah we cut back to the present time and alex who is karen's supervisor comes to check on her and he finds the grandma dead yeah she's dead dead uh and karen grandma's super dead and karen is like traumatized the cops investigate and apparently the couple disappeared just yesterday this movie takes place over a week including the haunting which is crazy to me it's crazy um breakneck doesn't cover it they find out that um There's also, the couple has a sister who also lives in Tokyo. She's, like, calling to try and get through to them, but can't reach them. Yeah. And as the cops are investigating, they find the creepy attic nook, and they find the husband and wife dead up there, as well as just a loose human jaw. Like you do. It it is kind of hereditary-ish. Yeah, maybe this is a good point to say it, but uh, just one little funny piece of trivia I picked up while doing research for this movie is that 
the director, Takashi Shimizu, is a big fan of Ari Aster. He's said in recent interviews for a movie of his that came out in 2019 that he really likes Ari Aster's movies, which I think is just very funny. I love that. Good for him. All right, so Karen wakes up in the hospital, kind of unsure of how much of what happened was real and what isn't. She says things like, I can't really remember, but it seems pretty clear that she does remember what happened. She's just not convinced it was, like, a real incident. She tells the detective about the boy, uh, and he tells her that there were, like, murders in the house. Like, they found the bodies upstairs. And now we cut to Susan, who is the sister of the couple who died, and... She looks very similar to Sarah Michelle Gellar, it's, in my opinion. It's strange to have, like, two chunky highlight blonde women in this movie. I, I feel like I didn't separate them as different characters when I was younger. <laughs> um, but she gets stalked by the ghost now, which is kind of showing that it can leave the house, which so far it's been kind of confined to on screen. It's, like, chasing her through hallways and showing up on surveillance footage. Um, there's a really funny scene where she's going up an elevator and a little uh toshio can just be seen outside the elevator yeah, there's a lot of weird background stuff happening but that's also in the original which like a lot of scenes are just kind of lifted from the original also and i think um the ones here are pretty effective i mean they took all the best things from it right right so the ghost calls her on the phone as uh, Matthew, the dead husband, who uses what, his voice. Yeah, what's interesting about this one is that, unlike the original, you see the other victims as ghosts also. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um, she even, like, looks through, like, the peephole in her door and sees him, like, outside her door. And then she opens the door and then he's not there. Yeah, I don't know if the implication is that they're also ghosts or if that's a different form that Kayako is taking. Yeah, Kayako, the, the hair lady that yes. we've referred to so far. Um, also, uh, she is getting calls on the phone, and it's the infamous death rattle. Get, get, <laughs> we both, for context, we both opened our mouth to do it, and nothing came out. It's uh, kind of hard to you, do. You can't do it, but I, I can kind of do it. The... That's a good job. I'm not even going to attempt it. I, I'm seeing that on the waveforms. So. I remember in the 2000s, kids would not stop doing that in the middle of fifth grade class. I do remember that as well. Just like kids doing that. You heard it everywhere. Constantly. The the throat noises. <laughs> um, we jump back to the present and now Karen is also being haunted by the ghost. We get the infamous shower scene here i like this one more than the original though uh she's like in the shower and a hand like pokes out through like the back of her head i like that it comes out of her head i feel like in the other one it's just kind of flopping onto her head like out of out of frame it's like on screen for like two seconds but i know it's one of those iconic scenes from the movie though i think yeah I think it's good at creating moments like that. When I say I want more variety, I think that's a great version of that. Or like that is kind of affecting and scary. And I would love more scares to be like the hand scene. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of an overt jump scare movie, but I think the subtle parts of it are actually kind of nice. Yeah, I agree with that. 
so Alex, the social worker manager, who is played by Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi's brother, is also killed, this time by the jawless corpse of Yoko, which is kind of sick. I remembered it being a little bit more gory, but it's pretty cool. It's a little bit goofy. It's a little silly with her giant tongue just hanging there, but, I mean, it's also anatomical, I guess. It was it was effective. I thought it was good. Yeah. Now even the police detective, Nakagawa, is seeing the ghost. Um, this time he's, like, looking through the surveillance footage of the hallway, and he sees, you know, the ghost come right up to the camera. That's um, a pretty good moment to me. Yeah. The, yeah. the CRT tv footage i love all the old 2000s technology in this movie like the old phones and the crts and the old computers they all people are cordless phoning all over this movie i love it (laughs) we cut to karen who finds a new story about murders involving the house and she meets up with the wife of the guy who jumped off the balcony in the intro um, where they have the most nothing conversation where Karen absolutely does not explain why she is meeting with this woman or how She's the... just kind of harassing her. She's just like... Well, she's dressed as Shakira at home smoking cigarettes. It's um a very confusing scene, but eventually the wife shows her some photos and Kayako is photobombing all of these pictures. Two weeks in a row, we got this weird ghost woman photobomb petty picture haunting phenomenon happening it's uh it's amazing it is the most petty thing a ghost can do i agree yeah um so we again flashback and bill pullman as peter Peter. uh visits the haunted house also he drops my favorite line in the movie where he just (laughs) says genki (laughs) genki (laughs) he's responding to i guess a love letter from Kayako, who used to be one of his students, because he's like a teacher. Um, but when he gets to the house, he finds Toshio, who's all messed up. Toshio also meows super loud. <laughs> this boy is meowing so much. Uh, we cut back to the present, where Karen is speaking with uh, the detective, who doesn't believe that the deaths are a coincidence. And he tells her that everyone who visits the house or investigates the house... Uh, ends up dead or disappeared, including some of the detectives. Um, So Detective Nakagawa decides he's going to put a stop to the curse and he's going to burn the house down. He shows up with like two big gas cans and starts sloshing gas all around. I mean, it is a difference from the original that the house is directly involved because in the past that didn't even matter. You just had to know someone who was haunted in some kind of tangential way. They explain it a little bit in this movie where somebody who dies in a particular place while feeling a particularly negative emotion puts a curse on that place, and everyone who goes to that place is cursed to die as well. Yeah, it's like a, we need a travel advisory warning for Japan just because there are a <laughs> bunch of grudges happening all at once, all so the be time. careful, it's very dangerous. But uh, the detective um, is distracted by a noise, and he um, sees Toshio being drowned by his father in the bathtub. Uh, But his father grabs the detective and starts drowning him as well. 
Karen comes home and gets a voicemail from her boyfriend who says that he's uh, trying to find her because she's been gone all day. And, hey, did you go to this house that you left all these papers on your desk talking about? And she realizes, oh, no, he's going to go to the house and get cursed. So she rushes off to try and save him. You've just been punked. Uh, she gets there and she gets a vision of Peter and Toshio together, kind of continuing the previous scene. During this, they play this ringing sound effect, which sucks real bad. <laughs> I hated this. This was like... It did bother our cats. <laughs> it bothered me. I was like, oh my gosh, am I like bleeding? Did something happen? Like, it's a horrible ringing noise. They use it a lot. The sound design is a little questionable. Uh, so Peter finds a bunch of pictures of Kaiko with her face cut out and um, the diary that Karen found earlier. Which explains that um, she's, like, fascinated by Peter and is, like, infatuated with him. He then kind of explores a little bit and finds Kayako's corpse uh, in the little attic nook. He then gets a vision of Kayako, Toshio, and the cat being murdered by the husband. it's so needless. It's so sad, the little, like, cat prosthetic there's a like, puppet of the cat getting flung across the room getting like bounced <laughs> across the tile in the bathroom oh, uh, it's a bit much i guess the husband discovered that kayako was keeping this infatuation journal about peter and then he got very abusive and murdered her and toshio i think i think if we're going across the different stories i think he already was and she was kind of looking for someone else Right. Is the explanation, but... We don't get a lot of that in this movie, but you're right in the original... It's, it's more explicit in different ways, but also not. Right. Um, we cut back to the present where Karen finds her boyfriend Doug, who is in the house, and he's very shaken by the ghost, and they're attacked by Kayako. Doug kind of, like, sacrifices himself. He, he just like, kind of lays there. He kind of throws his, like, limp body in the way. And Karen decides that she's going to um, light this lighter and kind of try and burn the house down. And... Oh, I do want to talk about her coming down the stairs. That's yeah, pretty good. That, that's a great scene. Um, another, like, classic scare that they borrowed from the original film. Yeah, but I also read that um, she was a contortionist, the actress. Yeah. So she achieves that kind of on her own. There's some great body movement. I guess um, what I had read was that she had a little bit of training as like a ballet dancer. Mm -hmm. So she had like really great body control and was able to do this like really creepy crawl down the stairs. I love when people use contortionists. So the house burns down. Um, We like cut to white. Karen wakes up in the hospital, but kind of just wanders around the hospital and it turns out that she looks very sad she looks so forlorn because her her boyfriend has died and then if you couldn't tell that she's traumatized her hair is a little bit messed up and she's looking down all the time yeah and she stumbles into like a morgue or something where her boyfriend's body i'm guessing she has to identify his body something like that and um kayako is in the room and um Cuts to credits as it's implied that Kayako's come to finally finish the job. So cheesy. (laughs) Uh, How did you feel about this movie? I feel like it's not exactly good, but I don't think it's nearly as bad as people say it is. You know, I remember the kind of cultural memory of this movie being almost 100% jokes. Yeah. Just um, goofing off about 
the scares and goofing off about the characters and goofing off. I mean, I think the fact that they made a scary movie about it and things like that, like the scary movie four, I think it is. I think that just says like how iconic some of the imagery and stuff is and how good the scares actually are. Because I I think it does have those really good moments, but also it has a lot of cheesy moments too. Yeah, absolutely. I think just the fact that um, the American remake puts Americans front and center, I think. um... I don't think it's necessary, but it is one of those Hollywood things that you kind of expect to happen. And I think like for that reason, it, it adds to a little bit more of like, you know, we just had at this point the ring um remake oh it's a hundred percent made because of the success of the ring because that is one of the good ones right the good remake right so i guess let's get into that um so this movie pretty commercially successful had a bunch of sequels yeah Um, it sure did i haven't seen them but it has too many so the director um takashi shimizu he is in film school and his um his like film school mentor is Kiyoshi Kurosawa, who's the director of movies like um, Cure and Seance and mm-hmm. Pulse, yeah. some of which you might know. Oh, I love Pulse. And Kurosawa kind of came up in the V cinema, uh, straight to video Japanese kind of circuit, along with directors like Takashi Miike. Um, love him. Love his stuff too. There's honestly a ton of great Japanese horror directors that come up out of this. Um, Hideo Nakata, the director of Ringu, um, is also kind of comes out of this. Yeah. So Shimizu was inspired by Buto, which is a like stylized kind of Japanese play where people painted in all white do contortionist uh, stuff, basically. Yeah. I looked up some videos of it, and it's extremely... You see exactly where, like, Kayako's movements and stuff comes from. Um, That makes a lot of sense. That's really cool, too, though. So he did um, two short films, kind of right out of film school, um, based on this idea for Juan the Grudge. And then Kiyoshi Kurosawa, his mentor, kind of helped get him some direct-to-video versions. That's Juan the Curse and Juan the Curse 2, which we haven't seen. No. And those kind of do well enough to get him a feature, which is The Grudge, or Juan the Grudge, um, the original movie. That, of course, does very well. And then with um, Ringu's kind of success and the successful The Ring American remake, um, Sam Raimi gets um, the ability to do a kind of bigger budget version of The Grudge as an American remake. I think it serves it pretty well for the most part. I agree. I think think the original does look good pretty corny at times i think that there are a lot of j-horror that kind of look better that were made before it so yeah and it doesn't it's not necessarily like a small budget movie either i was surprised how big of a budget it has with how it looks yeah so i think um i think they do make use of the additional budget for some of the effects in the remake i think they do a good job but i guess for whatever reason the studio decided they wanted to be pretty faithful to the original movie so they got it the yeah. they got the original director and they got the same actors that played um toshio and kayako to come back and i, I guess, could not confirm whether or not the cat actor was the same or not impossible to know but <laughs> either way great job by this cat actor incredible job. great cat actor and it's also filmed in japan um which i think you know the house is recreated on a sta- on a soundstage to look like exactly the original house but 
I think it's very cool that they got. I think it definitely lends to the movie's. Um, yeah, I like success. that decision a lot. To get the original director and some of the original actors, at least. Talking a little bit more about kind of the V cinema roots. This is a really interesting time in like Japanese movie making. Because the kind of tech bubble in Japan bursts in the early 90s. And a lot of the big studios, the big film studios are going under. Meanwhile, you have kind of um, anime starting to take off. Especially OVAs, which are direct-to-video. And I guess that's where a lot of the, like, direct-to-video... I mean, we're in prime VHS time. We are, absolutely. Um, And that trend is really blowing up in Japan, kind of right as this movie is coming out originally. And then I think that's kind of what got it into the mainstream. So it's a really interesting, um, just, like, history of movie making in Japan that leads to this movie's kind of existing. You know? That that um, sort of scene creates the ring, which, you know, creates like the remake, which allows this movie to be remade. So it's a really interesting cycle. Definitely. Yeah, I don't I don't know how they handle the ring since VHS doesn't exist anymore. I haven't seen any of the newer ones. I don't know if it's Blu-ray or if it's illegal (laughs) streaming. I don't know what they go to. That's a that's a great point. But yeah, this has spawned like a ton of sequels. Um, there was even like a Netflix um, adaptation in 2020. I think I saw it, but I didn't. Um, I didn't actually watch it. You just saw that it was out there. I saw that it was there. Yeah, I think Sarah Michelle Gellar is a really funny choice as the star of this movie. Some of the like changes from the original are to give her a little bit more backstory and a little bit more screen time, because you know, like she's Buffy. Um, she's also like. That's right. <laughs> Immediately before this, she's in, like, I Know What You Did Last Summer, Scream 2, and um, Scooby-Doo. I know! I was gonna say Scooby-Doo. <laughs> uh, that's, like, the year before this movie, so almost immediately before The Grudge. So I thought that was that's funny. really funny as well. I can definitely see, like, why they wanted to give her a little bit more screen time. Because the... She does all right. The original movie... You know, it's kind of a non-linear story. They're kind of jumping. There isn't exactly a main character of that story. That, I mean, there is, but there isn't. That's what I was going to say. Like, Rika, the equivalent character in that movie, is definitely, like, quote-unquote, the main character. Gets the most screen time. But it's not as clear. And I do understand why they kind of beefed up this role for her. And I think she does, performance-wise, a pretty decent job. I think she's okay. I mean, I think it's just comparatively because there aren't exactly any like stellar performances i would say um maybe besides the actual ghosts do a good job yeah but i mean it's a lot of just people reading things flatly yeah and i mean even the ghosts like they're giving a great physical performance but they don't have any lines no (laughs) you know um and i think you know like we've said some of the like japanese lines fall a little bit flat overall just like a tough movie to like really get behind any one character and i think sarah michelle geller being like having just been in scooby-doo and being in you know i know what you did last summer and buffy these are all like really cheesy things and i think that adds a lot to the perception of this movie as very cheesy that and her boyfriend looking just like ashton kutcher i like her as buffy but i'm not sure if those are really strong roles that she's typically in personally yeah any like final 
impressions of this movie before we go into ratings? I think that it's not exactly good, but people who say that the original is better are a little bit delusional. I think they're really it's, close. It's the exact same movie, right? I, I kind of feel like I had an unpopular opinion for a little while that I wasn't really a fan of Juwan to begin with. So I think if you're not going to like one, you're probably not going to like the other as much. Yeah, I mean, if you were only going to watch one of these, I would watch Juwan. The oh. original, yeah. Um, But I do think this is like, as far as American horror movie remakes go... I don't think it's that bad. It's one of the better ones just in terms of capturing some of what was good about the original movie. It is just a remade version of the original. Yeah. And, um, you know, there are some small changes, but some of it is just kind of mashing up, you know, some of the previous work that had been done. Like, I guess um, the director included some of the stuff from the short films and the earlier direct-to-video stuff into the remake, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I guess that's all I have to say is that I wasn't really a fan to begin with. And I was kind of, like, baffled at the critical reception of one while people really don't like the other one. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a totally serviceable horror movie. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, So with that, let's get into the ratings. Yes. Uh, We're going to start with our first category of spookiness. Uh, Give this a one out of five. What's your spookiness rating? I want to say, like, a three. Yeah, I feel like this is I feel like this is like a dead average spookiness movie. There are scares that work, there are scares that it's don't really work. It's a lot really of reliance work. on jump scares, but it has its moments. I think it does a pretty good job of building tension visually, um where there's like no dialogue, but you're seeing things that are like a little bit scary. I mean, you got to keep in mind though, it's from 2004 and it's going to look a little bit like a PS2 game sometimes. Absolutely, so. yeah. I think um, I think three is the right rating for it. I think they are a little bit too reliant on jump scares, and I don't think they do enough to sell them, if that's going to be their only trick. But all of the more implied or subtle stuff was really good. So I think three is, is the right rating for yeah, it. I agree. Next is watchability. So, like, how easy is it to just kind of throw this movie on and, you know, enjoy it? Uh, what's your rating for this one? I think I'd also say a three again, just because our our copy that we decided to watch didn't have any subtitles, and I do remember it having subtitles originally, so there is a lot of Japanese in this movie, so you can't really look at your phone and keep track of what's going on 100% of the time, but it's watchable. Yeah, I think I'd give it like a three and a half to a four i think it's like a totally fine horror movie to just like throw on it's not I thought you didn't like decimals listen if we're gonna do this with we might as well do this with half scores so i give it like a three to like a three and a half um i think that you know it's just a totally fine movie to just throw on um there's a reason that like we saw this movie just like as a date and then we also saw Juwan, and then we were watching this movie again like the third time there's not a lot of movies even like decent horror movies that i watch three times and have a decent time every time that's true so i think it deserves like yeah i would say three and a half for watchability uh and now the most important category the vincent price vamp rating this is like general campiness um performances kind of charisma uh what would you give for this movie I think it has to be 
a little bit lower. Maybe on a two. Just because the ghosts do a really good job, the meowing little boy is pretty funny. But it's not a lot of camp. Exactly. No, I needed they this movie. Just show up. I needed this movie to be either a little bit more atmospheric or a little bit more campy. And it's kind of in the middle. And a lot of the English-speaking performances just don't grab me. I feel Um, like the original was a bit more camp than this one. I do think the original had a better personality than this movie, even if, you know, it maybe suffered in terms of watchability and spookiness. Yeah. Um, So I think... Not a lot of ramp. Yeah, I think this movie has kind of traded on that. And yeah, I would agree with like a two. Mm-hmm. Do we have any bonus fuckability points to award for this movie? Kaika's been through enough. We don't need to sexualize her that way. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> All right, so your final score was you gave it a three spookiness, three watchability, and a two for Vamp. So that's an eight out of ten. <laughs> Very good. You theorized that this would be higher than last week? Well, aren't I a fucking fool? <laughs> I'd just like to remind everyone that. You I gave... was so optimistic. <laughs> I just like to remind everyone that you gave Insidious at 11 out of 15. That's fair. This is an 8 out of 15 for you, which, uh, you know, I gave it, I guess. It's a, a failing grade. I gave, I gave it an 8.5. I mean, it's an above average movie. Like. <laughs> well, we don't have an average yet for how we're rating things, so I guess we'll see further down the line what ratings other things might get. But That's a great point. I think um, this movie just kind of comes and goes. For the most part. You can let it happen to you. You can let it happen to you. There's a few bits that are nice. It's not like a terrible adaptation, but... I would say it's a good adaptation of an okay movie. So it's an okay movie. It's an okay movie. (laughs) Absolutely. I think, like, I was a little bit more baffled and confused by Insidious, which made me (laughs) maybe enjoy it a little bit more. I mean, Insidious has a lot going on, so... that is it time i don't know do you think it's time i think it's time are you sure Uh, are you absolutely positive you want to do this i'm absolutely positive i want to do this bring forth the movie sack so this our final segment the movie sack this is how we're going to pick our movie for next week i'm going to randomly select a, I'm so excited. a movie from the sack uh these have been uh curated by you you're the keeper of the sack i am the keeper of the sack it is my pride and joy i know it personally we have just random movies in a literal physical bag i'll shake it a little bit uh and we're just gonna see what we get good luck how many are in here roughly like 11 there's 12 12 movies in here no i don't want to do that one we want to do this one I'm not, you can tell I'm not looking in the bag when I say that. <laughs> okay. I have the movie. I will put the sack back. Returneth the sack to its place. <laughs> and the movie that we'll be watching for next week is Friday the 13th. <laughs> yes. This is the original? Yep. Okay. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Not as long as you would think. That's right. We watched all of the Friday the 13th movies, or almost all of them, 
uh, kind of just in a blitz back to back to back. It might it might have been a year or two ago. Yeah. Uh, so this is Friday the 13th from 1980, directed by Sean Cunningham. Yep. And uh, that'll be the movie for next week. Excellent um, choice. Thank you. Uh, tune in next week to find out what uh, what we have to say about it. I guess we'll get into plugs. Yeah. Uh, Opal, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I'm just Milky Cross on Twitter. I don't have any other projects right now that are public, but you do. You have something you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first of all, I'm putrid underscore imp on Twitter. I also have another podcast, uh, Level With You, a World of Warcraft classic uh, book club podcast with my friend Austin, who has never played an MMO before. Uh, it's a good time. You it's don't, a great concept. You don't have to have played World of Warcraft to enjoy the show. That's all I'll say. Um, and if you're like a lapsed player like me or someone who's still, you know, keeping up with it, um, I think there's a lot there. We just had our first guest. Uh, so look forward to that episode dropping. Uh, probably already be out by the time this is out. Yeah, probably. Um, and you can, of course, find the show at Scary Pair uh, on, on Twitter. All right. With that, I think it's time to end the podcast. Oh, bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.